Hello and welcome to Maven's Athenaeum, where you'll find magic hidden in plain sight. I'm your host, Maven, and I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Welcome back everyone. This episode I am running solo, not because I didn't have any willing participants, but because I needed a month, and I might need more, with less pressure. This is the cyclical nature that humans operate in, and there will be more times where the content is fewer because I just can't create. There will be times where I will have an overabundance of creativity and energy, which I hope I can start using to create a savings of content for when I inevitably fall ill again. This month, the book that I finished, emphasis on finished, is a very loved copy of The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck by Sarah Knight well loved because this book has gone everywhere with me. I usually took it with me traveling because the advice started to give me comfort, but also it became part of my nightstand rotation. The things that these are the things that I read when I'm getting ready for bed and I need to calm down. I don't always like to read the same books right before bed. This book has been with me for about five years, and I've only now just finished it. I know that there were times where I had to take a break because I didn't want to be told some of this advice, mainly that I was getting in my own way. Recently, I have had some radical changes in my life that shook the burial plots of hatches I've long since forgotten about. Some things came out of the woodwork, I guess you could say. I was thrown into an opportunity to seek change and hopefully not repeat the cycle again, my cycle being that of giving away too much, expecting it all back sooner than is possible, and feeling less connected and more alone than ever. While I think that this book may has many topics for me to choose from and to talk about, these are some of the notable ones that stuck with me through the reading process, which I will remind you took five years. Feelings versus opinions. This separation really helped me sort out my internal crisis by really hammering in the you don't have to care about everyone's opinions nail. This has been super helpful in creating boundaries, scheduling, and even wedding planning. Some people don't think that I should wear a black wedding dress. Well, white washes me out. That's my opinion, and it's mine and Hunter's wedding. Only our opinions matter. Feelings are something that I should try and avoid hurting or bringing into disagreements. I don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but if they're offended by my opinion, like for instance, I don't like to bar crawl, then they can be. They have that right. But it doesn't mean that I have to change my opinion to compensate for their feelings. The fuck budget and the mental barn. Both were super important to helping me manage my time and energy. The fuck budget is exactly what it sounds like, taking time to sit down and imagine how much of X, Y, or Z that I could give up for this thing. Do I want to do it? No. Okay, what else could I be doing instead? The mental barn is basically just a mental storage facility for all the fucks that you could potentially give, some that you haven't given yet, and some is other people's crap that they snuck in. Some of it is the stuff that you've held on for deeply personal reasons. I was really caught up in people-pleasing and doing everything that I possibly could without purposefully trying to make issues, but then I accidentally made issues happen, and then I didn't know how to solve them. I felt like I let a lot of people hurt me, even though it wasn't the intention, but I probably could have avoided that pain if I had protected myself better. I created boundaries within all four of the areas of potential fuck giving, which I'll go over in a second, and I immediately saw pushback from pretty much everybody. Most people had met the people-pleasing and now had to withstand the change to a person with firm boundaries who wasn't going to move. 
A lot of my friends and family welcomed the change and told me how they were really proud that I was realizing my worth and not letting these cycles of sadness continue. Sarah goes over this thing, uh, what about regret in her book? Her not sorry method is basically that if you act with intended kindness, you are not an asshole and express your opinion, then you don't have anything to be sorry for. Regret is something that anybody can feel, and there was a period of time when I was really worried that I had fucked up and cut the wrong cords, but my support team reassured me that I had made the right choice. Not by outright saying, you're being stupid, of course you made the right choice, they were assholes. They'd say things like, okay, so what happens if you do reach out to them again? What happens if you do make them your friend again? What do you think will happen? which instantly reopens my eyes, my imagine takes off, and I can imagine a million scenarios. Some might be good, some might be bad. Sarah puts it well, it might not exactly be regret. It could just be that we're not used to having this freedom. The four areas of potential fuck giving, that is things, work, friends, etc., and family. Things don't have feelings, and very little times do they have impact on your life if you care or do not care about said thing. Like me not caring about Marvel. It doesn't affect my life. Will I watch it? Yeah, if somebody else wants to. But on my time, when I'm giving my fucks, I prefer to watch DC. Work. Listen, I understand that there is a lot to hate about working. Most of us are barely getting a livable wage, little to no insurance coverage, living paycheck to paycheck. But if you read this book and the entirety of your job ends up on the this stresses me out list, you really need to look at getting a new job. Can't get one right now? I understand that. This is where some people would say a phrase that I hate. It is what it is which I think is grossly overused, but in this case, it's accurate. Nick, if you're listening, I mean, absolutely no offense. I do not love my job. It's not a fun job. I call people and I get yelled at every single night. One of the phases of reading this book, I got to the work section and was fairly certain that I needed to leave my job, but the pandemic hit. I got COVID and it severely impacted my health. Beforehand, I had to miss work because <laughs> there was no way I was going to be able to call when every two minutes something made me cry. But after I got COVID, I just kept getting sick for no reason. My point is, is that I had a really rough time for really a long time. I still don't think I'm doing too hot, but the job that I have is what works for me right now. My boss is extremely understanding, not demanding, reasonable, and most importantly to me, this job does not require me to break my body for a livable wage. I have worked in retail and service industry. When I worked at McDonald's, the floors were so greasy all of the time that when I slipped, I pulled muscles in my back. I didn't know that was possible. This job, I don't have to do that. I sit and I call. What more could I be asking for right now? I'm healing and I'm trying to rebuild. This is like the easiest way to do that. So I understand if you hate your job and want to leave, but if you find that you can't, you can try this other super cliche idea of finding a couple good things and holding on to it. Like, do I love that the majority of my job is people screaming at me? Absolutely not. What I do appreciate is that my boss understands that I have a mental capacity where it just caps out and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I have this illness now that's living in me that if I overexert myself, I get a fever and I can't come to work if I have a fever. They'll send me home anyway. But try this idea of finding something good and holding on to it. Kind of like Homer in The Simpsons, how he changes the billboard that's put up to remind him that he's working for his daughter. I made some desk decorations to remind me why I'm going to work as much as I am. 
Friends, etc. is the next category. This is my way of shortening friends, acquaintances, and strangers. This is another category I really did not like exploring. I really didn't want to hear how I needed to measure my friends to this standard that a book was giving me. But as I read, I began to realize that I was just hurting myself. I love to give and I will give until it literally hurts. I think it comes from some of the adults in my life telling me that sharing is caring or treat people the way you want to be treated. Something I was told when I was young got locked into my brain and told me that if I gave people and gave pe- if I gave and gave, people would like me, which they do. But I was also allowed to expect those things in return. No one should have a one-sided friendship. If a friend helps you out and then they ask for help back, it shouldn't be too hard to repay the favor. But it was unreasonable of me to want it back as soon as I did. I started to hear from people around me that I should just be grateful for things that were hurtful. Grateful that someone purchased something for me for a birthday present, when clearly it was last minute. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's not something that I like. It has barely any relevance to my life. I know that their love language is gift giving. But that really is half-hearted when I know that they spent months looking for the perfect thing for someone else. It just doesn't add up and you can't tell me that it does. I did need to limit my expectations. I expect a lot from people and I really don't know why, but I needed to learn to give people time and grace, patience if you will. I would say that I have a lot of patience when talking about being able to withstand a situation for a really long time. I've had to live in situations and I've stayed in relationships well past the time where other people said they would have left and a lot of people have said, wow, you have a lot of patience. But then those same people come back and say, oh, you need to be patient with me. I don't understand how both of those come out of the same person's mouth. But I do know that there are limitations that I need to give myself because it is unreasonable to give and then expect basically immediate reciprocation. I really want lasting friendships and it makes me really jealous to see other people with lifelong friendships, but I also want everyone to have the best friends for them. A lot of times I hear how I'm good for other people, but rarely do I get to hear how people could be good for me. So I started to look at that and I was worried. There was a lot of spaces that I was occupying that I didn't really fit in. I was being asked to change and was asking other people to change, not in a grow with me so that we can be better kind of way, in a I don't like this about you, so can you please tone it down kind of way. One day, probably when I turned 25, (laughs) I thought of how younger me would have felt in all of this. And immediately I could see where she had a hand in cultivating these relationships. I saw how she was bending over backwards to make people like her, doing the exact same things that I had been doing since elementary school, giving away the things that I really enjoyed, and then feeling bad because I missed those things, I didn't actually want to give them away, or because that person took something I gave them and carried on with their merry way, and I had this idea in my head that because I gave them something, they owed me friendship. That all needed to be fixed. So I had to set boundaries to make sure that younger me wouldn't have to get hurt by the choices that grown-up me was making and... I was just letting her give away pieces of herself to people that didn't care and weren't going to stick around. I think we all deserve friends that are as good for us as we are for them. I want my life to be a certain way and I know how to find my people. I have met a lot of people along the way, but that doesn't mean that either of us have to stay in each other's lives. I feel like there was a lot of friendships that I embarked on where I really did want to fit in and I wanted to be a good friend, but our lifestyles just didn't match. Another really important lesson from this book 
was, what do I want to be known for? And of course, my first answer was, I want to be known for being a really good friend and for being dependable. I think for the most part that's true, but there isn't anything in that descriptor that sounds personal to me. Like, if somebody comes up to you and says, ah, she's a really good friend and dependable, you might not automatically think of me. Which, that's fine, I mean, that applies to a lot of people. But I would like to be known as someone who is dependable, reliable, and kind. I want to be known for my generosity towards my good friends so that when the fount of giving starts to pour, you know you are loved by me. Now, in that is a responsibility to me and me alone to measure when to start and stop pouring into people. If I give too much, that's on me, and it always will be. And so are my expectations of others. I was advised many times to wait a little while before I start giving to people because it seems to be my main form of creating friendships. As Trina would put it, put them on probation for a year and then maybe if they give as much as they get, I'd say they're here for a while. So far, this has worked in my favor. I have noticed at least three acquaintanceships that tried to blossom into friendships, but I noticed patterns were repeating and not on my end. I made sure that I paid for gas when people asked for gas money. I loaned money. I was repaid money. I helped people move. I ran errands for people. And then when I needed favors done for me, like helping me move, somebody to come, somebody to come help me with something at my house, uh, those same people blew me off. It wasn't like, a, oh no, I can't do that right now, or a, I'm sorry, I'm not capable of that. They forgot about me. They did not make me a priority like I had made them. And it hurt. And I saw myself crying in the bathtub again and was like, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't deserve this. This book was a treasure trove of knowledge. I think everyone should read it for the benefit of society and themselves. But here are some of the things that I learned from this book. I learned about the Irish goodbye, which is funny because I had heard of it and I knew the general implications because it's been in a lot of like movies and TV shows. I always made a mental note to look it up later and never did. Sarah used Irish goodbye as an example and then in the footnotes explained it. An Irish goodbye is leaving without telling anyone, aka the perfect exit. I learned that I don't need to fit in everywhere. There are places where I will fit and it's not always where I try to make it. I've tried to fit in with groups of people where I just don't mesh. I feel lonely, left out, kind of floaty, and despite my best efforts, sometimes it's just a difference of lifestyles. Like I mentioned, some people like to go out and drink, and I prefer to stay home. I realized that I deserve to have people in my life that make me feel seen, understood, remembered, and supported. So I removed anyone who made me feel otherwise. Not immediately. I didn't go on a blocking spree. As per usual with me, I gave an extended amount of time where I tried to interact and was met with the previous actions. Um, after I came to the conclusion that these changes needed to be made, I couldn't just, you know, take stock of my life and the people in it and put people on the chopping block for no reason. That's not how I operate. It took me months to decide what was actually worth it. And like I said earlier, there was periods of regret where I thought, maybe I fucked up. Maybe I did the wrong thing. Maybe I should unblock those people and apologize. And my support system came through and promised me that I didn't make the wrong choice, that I was just not 
comfortable in my new decision yet, but I had given these people, let's say two months. And before I made this choice, these were people that ignored me, made promises to me and didn't keep them, let me help them, but never followed through with their promise to help me or conveniently didn't have their phone on them when I was confirming that they promised to help. Um, I gave them more time to correct the behavior, I guess, or to show me that, you know, maybe it was a one-time thing, that they didn't mean to ignore me, they didn't mean to read my messages and leave them on read, they didn't mean to turn off their phone the day that I asked for help. And, of course, it was more time than I spent putting energy into those relationships that were not feeding back into me and I had to let them go. It might have seen, seemed sudden for them, but it really wasn't. I look back and I see that I've really grown since the beginning of reading this book five years ago. I mean, I would hope that at least I grew a little bit. Five years is a long time to stay the same person. But despite what some people may think, I have grown a lot, especially with the help of therapy, this book and many others, I made some really big changes to my life that involved reclaiming, reclaiming my time and energy. There is no reason that I should be crying because I didn't have time to work on my business or rest for my mental health. There was a time when I was sacrificing every single mental health day that I had set aside. I would let my friends and family know the people that I thought cared about me. And I would say, Sunday, I am taking the day off. Do not call me. Do not need me. Please don't have an emergency. I am on the brink of unaliving myself and I need to rest. I need to turn my phone off. I need no one in this world to need me for 24 hours because it had just been a constant barrage of, I need this, I need this, can you help me with this? I don't know how I'm going to get this done. And I was always the solution, but nobody was the solution for me. And for the longest time, every time I put out a notice, like, hey, Sunday, I'm taking the day off, somebody, somebody would get through the do not disturb, the airplane mode, whatever I had my phone on, and get a hold of me, come by my house, talk to my fiance or one of my roommates because they needed me and it was urgent. When really, it was the same thing that had been happening over and over again and I had been telling them the same thing. You know, this person kept coming to me for advice on the same situation and I kept giving the same advice. So after that... I started a crusade of where can I get my life back? Where does it start? Where does it stop? It hasn't stopped yet, but it started with looking very, very, very critically at what I do for people, whether or not it's reasonable, and where I reasonably ask for reciprocation. Another example, I had an acquaintance who... I enjoyed having around, but they weren't able to support me on Patreon anymore, which is 100% understandable. Um, but then wanted favors involving me driving them places, picking them up. Um, I was able to help them get employment, and then I asked for a favor that came with you know, hey, if you'll come over and do this thing with me, I'll pick you up if you need me to, take you to work afterwards if that's what you need, I'll buy you lunch. And that sounds like a pretty good deal because I really needed somebody to come over and help me. And when I tried to confirm the day before, my response, the response that I got was a day after I needed help. And the first words were, I forgot about you. That's simple. That is very simple. It falls within the boundaries. I want friends that remember me. Telling me you forgot about me when you made me a promise doesn't fit in that. 
you can't tell me it does. And I have been graceful and I have been patient with people and I let this go on for longer than other people would. Lastly, I really took to heart that even if I was traumatized or hurt in the past, it does not give me a pass to be mean to others. And the same goes for everyone else. I have seen this ever since I was little, older people telling me that's just the way it is or I came out fine while also being taught through literature, history, and poetry, that there is a large population of people who understand that we aren't here to exact revenge or justice on others for the wrongs that we've had to endure, but that we are here to make sure that the, the next generation does not suffer the way we did. There seems to be two schools of thought. One that says, I suffered, so you must suffer as well. And another that says, I suffered so that you don't have to. I much prefer the second. I don't really see a point in inflicting pain on others just for the singular fact that it was done to me. I can make exceptions for people who hurt others because they were traumatized and they don't know any better. But that's when hopefully somebody will push them into the direction of bettering themselves and looking in a mirror and going to therapy. It's not anybody else's job to fix you, me. It's my job to fix me. It's your job to fix you, whether or not somebody traumatized you or not. Unfortunately, our parents aren't going to come with us to therapy and actually be proactive in pursuing growth and mending the relationship unless they see fault in their actions you're not going to be able to drag your high school bully into a therapy session no matter how much you pay them uh, unless they want to unless they're willing to uh, you can go to couples therapy all that you want but unless both of you are committed to saving the relationship and moving forward it's just not gonna work final rating time I rate this a 5 out of 5 stars, even though it did take me a while to read, which was 100% my own fault. This is about a 200 page book, so if you're smart about it, I'm sure you could finish it in, you know, a week, but definitely less than 5 years. I loved the author's voice. She really got into my head and it felt like we were talking or at least on the same, same wavelength page 190 there's a reference to picking up this book for the express reason of being fed the fuck up and yes the reason i picked up this book was because i was sick and fucking tired of being tired all the time i'd come home and be severely upset because i was tired and i was sleeping my life away i was helping other people and nobody was helping me and my things were getting dusty because i wasn't working on my hobbies my crafts taking care of my house. I really needed help getting started with taking care of myself. No one really taught me how to do it. They just told me what not to do. There wasn't really a lot to dislike. I just remember that early on I was intimidated by most of the information that was being presented and how it was being presented. So that's why I put it down as often as I did. But every time I picked it up, it was because I kept telling myself, I'm so fucking sick of this. Now I have time to talk to you about the art that I'm sharing. This is a project that I've been working on for a while now for a calendar. I will be giving this to all of my patrons before the new year and the calendars will be available for pre-order in December. If you are on YouTube or Spotify, you can see the time lapse of the recreation of my art. I don't know which part of the process it'll be in with the overlay of the audio, but hopefully you have seen at least the skeleton design and now we're moving into like color and rendering. This is a collaboration of several ideas. I've always had this internal longing for a home, but it wasn't until recently that I started to realize that this home I was searching for was supposed to be in me. I've grown up my most of my life with this hole in my middle. I never really knew what to fill it with, and I realized that this was my sense of belonging. So 
after I learned that it was my job to fill that void, I've started to fill it with things that make me feel like I belong. Easily, that translated to a mental space where I could just do whatever I wanted. This is the September piece. I chose a young girl because one, I mainly draw women and even though I've tried working on some non-binary art, it seems to always present masculine or feminine. And two, September is when about school is starting, so it seemed fitting to put the youngest member of my calendar around school time. The image is of a little girl leaning against a pile of books while reading another. I chose How the Stars Came to Be by Poonam Mystery. I gave her a half-up hairdo with pigtails. I dressed her in a horse-printed tunic dress with leggings. I see a lot of kids with those. And I gave her a plastic beaded necklace and a woven friendship bracelet. The bracelet is there as an ode to my friend Trina, who really helped me and inspired me with this piece. Uh, the book that she is reading, How the Stars Came to Be, directly correlates to the mental space that I created for her. I thought drawing a kid's bedroom might not be possible since I've been drawing the exterior of people's mental homes and a bedroom is an interior room so I thought it would be difficult and I haven't mastered the isometric um, the isometric landscaping art yet. I've looked into it, I like it, but I haven't mastered it yet. But I thought, you know, maybe a child would really enjoy, like, a jungle gym or a tree house, you know? Maybe her and her dad put it together, or it's like a family heirloom or something. But I thought, you know, a jungle gym tree house thing would be great. She's reading a book about stars, why not make her a playhouse with a place where she could imagine herself stargazing? It was really fun. I got to... It was really fun and I got to draw some like glowing string lights. I always love using that effect. This project really sparked a lot of thinking from me. It started with a text post from Soulology on Instagram. In your journey, there will be in-between times of transition. You may feel lost, confused, angry, unseen, or empty. Don't confuse these times of transition as a forever state of being or of being broken. You are breaking away from what was and creating space to welcome what will be. This gave me the idea of someone literally breaking away from the mainland and becoming independent. I drew a preliminary sketch of uh, different panels of this piece of earth breaking away from a cliffside to create their own floating island. And it was still connected to the mainland by a tether rope or a cable or something, a line. And through the panels, I made the isolated island more and more extravagant. And all that it made me think of was this person grew up on this cliffside village and finally said, fuck you, I've had enough, I hate it here, and jackhammered off a piece of land and said, I'm living here, this is my house, go away. There's still access to the mainland, so people could come and go, he could get supplies, but their house is more colorful, less condensed than the others and expressive which I loved there has always been this idea of like a mental safe space or a mental space where you can meditate into in the world of magic your internal space is really important for magic these two ideas together made me think of all these wonderful possibilities I started to imagine if like this were mended if this were blended with reality and notice that this idea was totally plausible i live in an apartment that is exactly like the ones around it yet all of us have it set up completely different in the interior and exterior 
If you gave 100 people the exact same house, they would all decorate it and organize it differently. This blew my mind. Now, I know that most people either don't think of that or don't care, but I really did. It led me to what does everyone's mental house look like and what would it look like if someone were depressed? Could mental spaces merge? What if somebody really likes Christmas? Would their house be Christmas themed? All of these things, many, many questions, which led me to adding to the calendar and actually turning it into a calendar instead of just an art series. Uh, I added a couple pieces where there would be multiple persons so that I could create a merged headspace. The first one that I finished was June, which is the month that me and my sister have birthdays. So I made it a sister piece of art and there is a merged mental space where there's a blanket for it and that was a lot of fun to make. Everyone's mental space is going to be different and I've tried my best to keep that going through the entire project. I've selected color palettes that correspond to the seasons that the month will be in. I've tried to randomize and diversify the race within the months. I'm about halfway through and I think I've done a good job of being racially diverse. Sorry dudes, I don't like drawing dudes. Unless they have long hair, in which case I'm still sorry, I haven't mastered creating men in art. Men are more angular and usually have a squarer build or, you know, a bulkier build. Women are curvy and I like the curvy, but I also just mostly like the possibilities of what women do to their hair. Not that men can't have long hair and do fun things with them. I just prefer to draw women. I promise I'm working on it because most of my patrons are men and I'm sure that they would all enjoy a caricature of themselves once I learn how to draw men. This is basically the end of the episode, but if you want to stick around and wait, I'm going to give a short version of the mental space meditation. If you'd like to, you can message me on Instagram or email me at mavenpage at gmail.com. That's M-A-E-V-Y-N-P-A-I-G-E at gmail.com. And tell me about your mental home. If you follow me on this meditation and you think of a very clear and concise mental space that you would like to describe to me or even draw on your own and send to me, You can email it to me, send it to me on Instagram, post it on Instagram, and tag me. My Instagram is at the happiest pumpkin. And I'm just going to ask, you know, again, if you don't want to participate in this meditation, you can go ahead and the episode's done now. Thank you so much for listening. Otherwise, get comfortable. Make it so that you have little to no distractions. I know that's hard for some people. I have cats and they're going to make noise, so I hope that doesn't disturb you. Otherwise, please sit tight, get comfortable. If you are used to meditating, if you regularly meditate, you have your own ways of getting into that mental headspace. I'm going to share mine so that whoever is new to this, or if you're just you know, trying it out to try it out. This is how I discovered, cultivated, and expanded my mental space to hang out when I have panic attacks, when I, you know, am on the train or the bus, and I just don't want to be in the real world for a little while. So I'll be right back with that. All right, first you got to get your breathing under control. It's going to be hard for me to do that while I'm talking. So just breathe in and out for even counts. Make sure that you're comfortable with how you're breathing and that you don't feel like you are... uh, How would you say it? Make sure that you aren't feeling pressured to breathe right. Sit in a position that makes you feel comfortable. I was introduced to meditation by sitting on the floor with no comfort whatsoever, and now I like to meditate in a chair, so whatever suits you best. 
once you're comfortable if you want to close your eyes or you work better in the light just try not to be distracted by anything visually this is an exercise that involves imagining things internally some might say this would be your third eye uh, your mind's eye your imagination there is a percentage of the population who suffers from something called aphantasia, which means you have a hard time imagining things fully. It's okay if you don't see things like colors or distinct shapes. You can just have a comforting feeling. That is okay too. I started there as well. And I was able to graduate into a house with things inside the house through art. So if you can't imagine anything fully, please don't get frustrated with yourself. So we're going to start by counting our breaths. We are going to count to five breaths, and then you're just going to follow my instructions, okay? One. to take you to your mental space is through a portal. Some of you might have already imagined what this portal looks like. For the sake of recording, I'm going to use an example from Spirited Away. Out of darkness, there is two stone pillars that meet in the middle. You can see light coming from this portal. You walk from the darkness into the light. A vast, sprawling land spreads out before you as you pass through the portal. In the distance, you see smoke. It's not the kind of smoke that would make you worry. It's the kind of smoke that looks inviting. You head in the direction of the smoke. You follow the smoke. And as you get closer, you notice that there's a rhythm to the smoke, almost like there's a consistency in the fire that makes it. As you get closer to the smoke, you start to see a house rise from the distance. At first, you don't know how many stories it holds. You see the vague outline of a beautiful house. As you get closer, you start to notice more of the finite details, the door, the windows, the floors, and you see the chimney where the smoke is rhythmically leaving the top and floating out into the breeze. You approach the door. You knock, but instead of an answer, the door opens. Normally, fairy tales should have told you to run. True crime horror stories would say that this is a bad idea. But where you are now, you feel comfortable, safe like you're supposed to be here, and that it is okay if you go inside. So you do, you go inside. Inside, everything is organized exactly where everything should be. Where you think there should be a sofa, there's a sofa. Where you think there should be storage, there's storage. 
Every time you look to your right or to your left, you're pleased by what you see. You look along the wall and you see things, collections, and pieces of hobbies that you are familiar with. They remind you of yourself. These are either things that you've carried from your childhood or things that you could see yourself genuinely having. From here, it's up to you. I haven't described anything particular. All that I've described is a landscape, a house that has windows and doors, and maybe some floors. If you imagined something that you're happy with, that you love, I would love to see it. I would love to hear about it. If you want to keep it private, that's totally okay. This is an exercise usually used to help find sort of inner peace. I'm not going to say that this is a foolproof method because as I mentioned, I had problems with it from the beginning. I wasn't able to fully imagine this house. I created sort of what I thought my house would be like. Um, but to this day, I still haven't like fully created a mental house. I have the meadow where I want to build the house. Um, but most witches probably won't tell you what their mental space looks like. It is a really private thing, and there is witchcraft lore behind paintings. People who painted scenes that had buildings and, like, clearly human habitable things had, like, spells in them and power. Like, if you... If that was a real place, you could use that painting for nefarious purposes. I'm not saying I believe in that. It's just part of the lore that surrounds it. I have noticed on my publishing app, where I publish all the episodes in podcast form, that um, there are a lot of listeners. Well, not a lot, a lot but a lot to me. If 10 people came and hung out in my kitchen to listen to me, I probably wouldn't even make this. But since I'm basically talking to my cats, um, hi everyone. I've noticed that there are people from mainly the United States, but Ireland was in the top. And if you know how crazy I am about Ireland, you will know how happy that made me, so hello. I noticed uh, that there were some listeners from Australia and Germany, whether those were just stop-bys or people that looked me up on purpose. Thank you so much. It means a lot. If you followed the meditation and you came all this way, I would absolutely love it if you got a hold of me on any of my social medias or my email. And I would just like to take the last couple of minutes to plug my Patreon. I adore my patrons. They put up with so much from me. Last night, I deleted a post that people finally commented on. And unfortunately, there was no way to resurrect it from the dead. So I just had to remake it. I get so, so, so tired when I'm sick and I feel so bad when I can't post or create or I forget, but it really does mean the world to me that you guys support the art that I make, and I promise I'm trying to do better. My lovely and consistent patrons are Nate, Danny, Trina, Brooke, my Aunt Allie, and Robert. Thank you so much. I hope you guys got your mail and make sure you check out the new post because if you do want a print of that, it still won't cancel out your uh, coupon. This month I sent out, well I guess it wasn't this month, 
last month I sent out, so for August, I sent out a Redeem One coupon because I didn't finish the book that I promised to read, and that's completely my bad. So I didn't have a cover to redo, and I didn't have any art to make. This month, I was able to introduce my calendar. Next month, I am going to be revealing the uh, mascot, kind of like, I don't know, animated version of me that I would like to portray on all of my everythings. Sort of the, uh, well, I guess mascot's probably the best one. Anyway, thank you to my patrons and to my worldwide listeners. It really means a lot to me, and if you like the content, you want more, let me know, and I will do my best to keep going. Thank you. All right, well, that looks like everything that we had time for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked today's content, please give us a like, a comment, and maybe a follow or subscribe. I'm on Patreon, Twitter, and Instagram at The Happiest Pumpkin. If you have any recommendations, please submit them via Patreon or emailing me at mavenpage at gmail.com. That is M-A-E-V-Y-N-P-A-I-G-E at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I hope you find some time to read.